0: Hi, I got a tape I want to play Just what do you think you're doing today? Your move, creep. Take me to the volcano! So why don't you make like a tree
1: and get out of here? Come with me if you want to live. This
0: town needs an enema.
1: I kid, I need a back of anatomy. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. I got a bad feeling about this.
0: So. It's come to
1: this. Oh, baby, it's cold, man. Cold blooded. I, I didn't. I had no idea where you were going with that one.
0: I didn't know where I was. I was flying free. It freaked me out a I little. bit. I was just bit. seeing what we. And yeah, that kind of that darker side comes up because <laughs> we burrowed deep into the depth of a deceased
1: mind. Yeah, we're going oh. dark today. I, I'm Charlie. I'm Eric. This is a movie podcast, and uh, we've been on a. I've been on a crime kick. Yeah. I don't (laughs) don't know know what's into it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Charlie's been talking to me just more and more about crime. (laughs) Just in general, crime. You know,
1: I've had a lot of time on my hands uh, the last eight weeks, 10 weeks now. Uh, Just think about
0: crime a lot. The horror talk is so much more limited now. It's all like wanting uh, to watch people commit crimes. (laughs) Just getting the inside rope on crimes and committing them. It's great. I like the shift we've, we're going to do just into a full crime podcast. But crime movies, at least, right?
1: <laughs> um, but I, I will say, full full disclosure, I'm not really into the crimes that we're about to talk oh, about. Oh, yeah.
0: That's a bad lead These in. are bad crimes. I love this crime so much. These uh, are not crimes to get here's into. Here's a family
1: murderer. Um, we're talking about the 1986 Manhunter. Yeah. The, the original Silence of the Lambs. The first movie uh, with, uh, yeah, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. And, and that's, to me, growing up or whatever, you know, hearing about this movie for, for the first time, all I heard about Manhunter was, it's that movie from the 80s that had
0: another guy playing Hannibal Lecter. It's <laughs>
1: like I, all I knew about it,
0: right? I didn't know anything about it. So uh, due to my age, Silence of the Lambs had its big, huge year. And you know, a horror movie and a violent movie like this winning like all the big Oscars. It, I remember you know, when it came out, and it was one of those
1: where, like, I think my parents went and saw it, and they never went to the movies, kind of a thing.
0: Yeah, my parents like were. Everybody my parents went got into to, uh, this thing. Yeah, they went on the date nights, the movies, but that was one they like. It was rarer, I guess, for them to go on uh, a, a a date date, not without a movie that the family was going to. Mm-hmm. Silence of Lambs was one that they went to solo. And my dad's like, Yeah, you're not gonna see that movie. Ten year old Eric. And then so but it was so crazy to me then I knew it was something like a big deal when a horror movie, this violent, disgusting, kind of controversial movie, was getting the best picture, best actress, best actor, best it swept know. it swept the top five. Yeah, like uh, the major category. Only the third movie in
1: Academy Award history to win picture. Uh, director, screenplay, actor, actress. Yeah. All yeah, the big five. The big five. And Do You know the other two. Trivia. Oh jeez. Where are you putting me <laughs> live? On this
0: what are we doing here? Gotcha. Oh. What,
1: the Godfather? <laughs> Uh, No, it was uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, okay. And then back in the 30s, uh, there was a movie with Clark Gable called It Happened One Night.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, I know it happened one and night.
1: And that, that one uh, did as well. I was
0: never going to guess anything.
1: For some reason, that's a thing of <laughs> trivia that's always been stuck in my head. So oh, there you go. man. You're welcome. I'm going to be plotting how to make you
0: look like just a total dummy. Everyone listening, uh, later go, on go annoy episode. a loved one with that piece of trivia <laughs> the way I've annoyed Eric. <laughs> well,. The film expert has dunked on me again. Anyway, no, that was good. No, but it, Silence of the Lambs carries with it that legendary status. It exactly. puts it up with that movie that it has normalized such a a, a violent kind of vile movie. You know, it just puts them right upside, like, Gone with the Wind on movie lists and all that exactly, kind of stuff. Exactly, right. And it's cool. So, it always had that legendary status. So, I saw that one when I was, you know... Older mm-hmm. than ten, but but young enough. I had no idea about the existence of Manhunter. Yeah, I'd never heard of it. I didn't know that this was any kind of not a sequel per se, but the source material had been used before. Right, I had no clue. And uh, one night I was, uh, I was probably somewhere okay. between nineteen and twenty one because I wasn't living at home. I was All in right. my apartment, and AMC would do like this Friday night. Horror movie night every Friday night, and I worked late, so I would come home. <laughs> the Friday night movie, Friday night, was on, uh, the was on horror stuff movies on the Fridays. Yeah, <laughs> and um, every week I would come home, have in and out, fall asleep on the couch, and wake up at whatever like the third or fourth movie they were showing. Mm-hmm. And one of these times, it was Manhunter. It's starting right at the scene with Hannibal Lecter, and then William Peterson running out of that amazing building down that great staircase love it but the thing is due to where i came in about 20 minutes into the movie i had zero clue it had anything to do with the silence of the lambs you missed the whole Lecter part yeah. yeah even if i had seen it, it spelled totally different oh yeah might not even put that together possible and so i watched i got immediately hooked because it's that great scene with you know the different lector Uh, Brian Cox. Brian Cox. Yeah. And then, again, that staircase running, which is like the best Brian De Palma, (laughs) Hitchcock kind of shot, you know? I love that the guy's having a panic attack,
1: and he's just having to go back and forth and back and forth. the most
0: switchback building in history. (laughs) And so I'm hooked from, you know, watching this movie for five minutes. I have no idea what it is. And so uh, my first experience with Manhunter was this, this own separate crime movie that has nothing to do at all with the Silence of the Lambs universe. Well, I mean that's kind of cool because you would have seen it maybe in its proper
1: state because obviously this comes out four or five years before Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, it's the first Thomas Harris novel right. uh, adaptation. Nobody would have known who Hannibal Lecter was before <laughs> he wasn't an icon already. Yeah, obviously, exactly. These, right? you know, so yeah, you would have seen it pure, like people. Would have in eighty six, and it's not like
0: it was even Anthony Hopkins playing the guy, so it's not like my brain would have even made that totally. connection. Yeah. And I don't think Will Graham's a character in Silence of the Lambs. No, nope, not he's in used Silence. in the other. He's material. in when they do Red Dragon, and then in, in, in the, the TV show. series yeah. Hannibal. So I had no idea who Will Graham was, or uh, so it's so in right the, in retrospect. Just happened with me waking up on my couch in the middle of the night and this movie being on. When and... you
1: say it like that, it's like, why would a guy interviewing some guy who's not Anthony Hopkins have anything to do with silence? Like, why <laughs> yeah. would your brain even go there?
0: Yeah, that yeah. makes perfect sense. Like... <laughs> and so you being on a crime kick lately. Loving it. And you'd suggested Manhunter. Well, basically, we're going to be doing a lot of Michael Mann. Man, you you we we started I'm, talking the man. I've been falling
1: in love with Michael Mann for the last couple of years. Here, I don't think I appreciated <sighs> him as a younger person. It was Thief that put you over, wasn't um, it? It was watching Thief. Yeah, I was like, this is a painting, and Manhunter. Yeah. I think to, is uh, we'll get into the same ways. To me, one of the most visually appealing movies, Manhunter
0: visuals just feel wa- like just a, a direct uh,
1: descendant from Thief. It it feels like that, but but it feels like Renaissance paintings at, I love at it. points to me. Like it really is just like kind of breathtaking. Feels imagery. feels
0: like the best
1: versions
0: of the best Billy Squire videos. <laughs> exactly. Of the best eighties <laughs> videos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of the best anything. I 80s, love right? these, not just crime noir movies, but these neon eighties crime movies mm-hmm. that hits such a major button for me. Such a major aesthetic. Uh, and I think Thief kind of starts that just because you see a lot of wet cement with a lot of neon signs reflecting off oh, that. The reflecting late night light. diners. Mm-hmm. And that's the like, oh, Michael Mann shoots night better better than anyone. <laughs> and so that Thief started that. But then stuff like American Gigolo has that same kind of just pink bedrooms and neon lights. And oh, I love it. I got that one on, on the Laserdisc oh. recently. I actually
1: we I, I need to pop that in, and so, so I haven't seen that since maybe on so TV, like
0: in the nineties. We'll get to point. our American Gigolo <laughs> when we get to our Gear don't, Fest. Don't don't worry, Gigolo. A couple heads. of gear heads here, <laughs> and uh, and so Manhunter feels like that perfect encapsulation of the era. Felt like absolutely. It felt like a full MTV movie, non-ironic. In a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, not
1: an ironic capturing of the eighties, but just a pure. Soaking in the
0: the color and the just the whole. It it took all the stuff that I love about Michael Mann, and it was totally like a cross of the sensibilities and the level of crime in Thief, but then the more modern fashion and hipness of Miami Vice. Mm -hmm. So it's like he's just taken up all of his best material and making this offbeat, violent. Kind of... Uh, scary. Yeah, scary. Edgier
1: seat kind of a movie.
0: Yeah, just going really dark with it. Mm-hmm. And this... I love more and more. We talked about this when you suggested it a few weeks ago. That I think I've already always kind of the high vote on Michael Mann. Uh, you know, Thief's one of my top ten. And, you know, all the cool Michael Mann. Collateral's like one of my top five of the two thousand heat is just an undisputed classic movie big michael Mann guy and so manhunter i always assumed that i'm kind of the high vote on and like maybe overrating it because i see it you know it has its detractors a lot of people do not like the vibe and the feel and the look of manhunter is that right yeah and so uh watching it this time though i'm like oh no no i it's high i have to have it high it's the only 1986 movie I'd have above it is Blue Velvet, and that's, like, my top dog. That's so, a big year, too. 86? Yeah. Right in the smack dab Ugh. in the middle of it? And this movie is just so its own cool, gross, neon thing that it is—it's oh, beautiful. It's perfect. So, there
1: you go. Uh, yeah. Right from the beginning, we, we meet up with uh, Will Graham, our, our hero, our ex-former uh, FBI profiler, who's a little odd. Yeah. Played by William Peterson. Do you want
0: to uh, let's just dive into the deep end on Peterson. That's what I was about to do. I was yeah. uh you know, it's funny because
1: <laughs> if you know William Peterson, you know him as the CSI guy. Yeah. For many years. The role
0: that's made him probably over a hundred million dollars. But now. he had
1: some interesting yeah, oh, he's,
0: he's, <laughs> he's doing okay. It's crazy. Um he's the guy who
1: actually what I've heard stories about, like he was the first movie star who started doing like TV. Hmm. And then Basically told everyone, "Hey, this is great. You work eight hours a day. You're with your family. Yeah. You know, you clock in for three months out of the year, and yeah, you get paid this whole thing. So now all the movie stars uh, are on TV. But, anyways, he was you know a cool action hero back in the '80s. I yeah. think he had just done Friedkin's uh, To Live and Die in L.A. I think that's what got him the
0: gig on in this one,
1: Manhunter. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think it was that performance because there was a lot of other uh, bigger names like uh, De Laurentiis wanted you know Mel Gibson or somebody mm. like that like a legit huge name it's always Mel Gibson or, right? <laughs> or Harrison Ford yeah. when you hear those things yeah. yeah, and so they wanted like a guy <laughs> like that so for William Peterson to get it like that clearly uh, uh, man had some sway at that point he had and a, was yeah. able to just be into a movie like to live and die in LA and get that guy the role and really he kind of cast the whole movie that way Hmm. And, uh, but Peterson is like a bold choice for a movie like this.
1: I, uh, I have a love hate relationship with this performance. And I think um, a lot of people kind of have that. As and well. I love it and hate it at the same time. And, uh, to me, he's, he's, when you also taken, I don't know if the Will Graham character in the book is supposed to be weird. Like mm-hmm. the way that the guy plays him on the TV show where he plays him basically as high functioning autistic. Right. But uh yeah, Peterson just has such a in like kind of inner performance, and then all of a sudden he blurts out <laughs> all the you know, four or five yeah. times in the movie. He has the same kind of emotional release, but it's like a guy who doesn't know how to release emotion. <laughs> so he's just kind of like, You son of a bitch, you you, you And he's, and he's <laughs> kind of got this frustrating like kind of you were watching him too, you son of a bitch. So, and it just makes me kind of laugh and also go like, "What is he doing?" And also go like, "Maybe that's,
0: maybe that's good." I don't know. I <laughs> yeah. um, what do you think? Uh, so, I will preface this by saying that I was with you on the like. Uh, he was the kind of the factor that was causing me to what I thought was overrating, but was actually underrate mm. the movie because I was not quite confident in his thing in the past. I've seen it a few times now, but something about this past time, it was the most I've loved it. I've fully now pushed more over into the William Peterson ads to this movie. And even though there are still a couple of scenes where it feels like he doesn't totally know uh, these words that he's speaking, <laughs> the one that jumps out to me is like, I'm going to get you. speak sport (laughs) the sport is that's a tough delivery calling a dude who has murdered families (laughs) like a family killing serial killer who he's profiling a man who murdered like four children and a husband and wife all right
1: sport that's definitely one of those moments yeah the the one that always kills that's me that's weird that's weird thing to to say to someone the, the just the line that kills me is when he's talking to his wife and he's like these killings
0: they got to stop <laughs> anyways but i actually do
1: love him and he's just got this kind of like vein in the neck intensity underneath even when he's yeah. like kind of playing it cool it feels
0: like this this kind of uh Dead eyes Michael Keaton. Mm Kind of. I could see that, yeah. Kind of role. He does have a. Yeah, there's a hint
1: behind the eyes that there's definitely some damage.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what really pushed me this time. And, you know, some of it depends on mood, and I was definitely in the mood to watch it. And, but those eyes, man, he has these just dead eyes throughout it. And I think a lot of these outbursts and some of the other things is. That part of him that he uh, burned off the edges of quite a long time ago, still still around in there, still possibly recoverable. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a bit of that, uh, not quite autism, but that weird bubble that he has to put himself into, That weird mindset. It's almost like going undercover. You know, that how the whole movie is about him getting deeper and deeper inside the head. Of a total psychopath. Right. And I think uh he did that in a way that other people could have done much bigger and had more explosions and more of a so I like his bridge between the kind of weird <laughs> oh, yeah. unhinged guy, the guy whose job kinda of makes him crazy mm-hmm. on intentionally with the uh, the real man. You know, I like how he plays it uh with both. And so this time just really put me over the edge on up, oh, I'm into the Peterson performance. Also, a weird thing, the Ed Norton performance in Red Dragon, uh-huh. uh, playing the same character. I always thought, like, oh, man, they got such a young guy to play. Uh, it doesn't work for me. Like, I needed that grizzled, lived-in experience. Ed Norton and William Peterson were the same age. <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> when they that William Peterson was like,
1: Ed Norton way has, past. Ed Norton still looks like he's yeah could be 16 years old yeah he's just, yeah he's occasionally just there's flashes face, in his
0: eyes and face yeah and the eyes man on peterson put this over the top that like lived in look was strong throughout right even at the end when he's wearing that like call me by your name throwback outfit <laughs> on the beach man the, that ending the pink hot pants with that uh oh yeah oh oh, oh,
1: oh i know yeah we'll get i'm there. aware um yeah, he uh, he gets called back in for one more case because there's a, a serial killer, and and I just love how he is immediately doing the job. Like it's one of those yeah. where it's like I'll think about it next scene.
0: He's in the bedroom, like going over the forensics <laughs> yeah. next scene. So that what never hit me before, and I loved this time is him getting called back. It's such a Blade Runner moment. It's such a M M, M. at Walsh saying. We need you, Dex. Yeah. You know, and, and who is so it in good. this movie? Uh, Dennis Farina. Yeah. A Farina, great...
1: Farina's a, a man regular. A great Farina uh-huh. performance. Oh, this was a good one. This is the... He gets all the fun stuff where he's like ordering the helicopters and, you know, put a PPB on a thing and the thing... And he's <laughs> always like spouting instructions. I love yeah. it. Yeah.
0: He, he brings the... Uh, just like we talked about uh, Dennehy in FX recently... uh He's the guy who can spout anger at uh, any right. moment's notice in uncontrollable fashion as well. He really has a, doesn't sure how just to yell in this scene, but he's going to yell. Like a guy caught in a, like, we got to do this. Well, I didn't think we should do this. Like he always <laughs> is the guy ramping it up a bit. And it's the really perfect, like, first kind of star Dennis Farina performance. Mm. This started defining what we would see in a ton of different roles like this for the next 15 plus years. His ability to just talk fast is just such a gift. His ability to be like the perfect mustachioed and pockmarked, Mm -hmm. one of the best faces. Great. And yeah, and the movie's got a cool bit of casting. And I just love how deeply they use a lot of this cast and how sparingly. It's one of its big strengths is you don't get to see too much of a lot of these people except for Will. Mm Because we're going on Will's journey back in the shit. Mm -hmm. You know? Oh, yeah. And I don't think, I wasn't around watching R-rated movies in 1986, but I don't think there was this kind of level of detailed crime profiling. Oh, yeah. Like, the whole movie is his process and his profiling in this intense profiling, and I don't think we got things like that. I don't know then. if we
1: got serial killer movies really. Yeah, in the like when when I think of all the crime movies that I've been enjoying, the older ones are always mobs or right. They're uh, some sort of you know maybe Psycho or something like that but the idea of the fbi profiler mm-hmm. which is, seems such a cliche now right yeah. every other tv like show is about this feels like the big
0: fbi profiler but kind this of movie.
1: was i think yeah i mean this is before you have any kind of csi this is before you have any kind of law and order even on tv you know you were still had cop shows like tj hooker and stuff happening yeah. right so yeah we got
0: into like in depth forensics in the wire but we weren't really right. getting that like all that long forensic process. Yeah, in movie. I don't know if you get a lot of crime scene like
1: detailing and and uh, yeah, the way this thing goes into fingerprints and uh, the the different uh, lights that oh they yeah, use the to, infrared lights to read lighting to the read
0: things and felt tip marker. Like, all right. like you're getting into the deep cut forensic stuff, and it's handled in such a way that. I thought it was just super interesting. That oh, yeah. This in depth profiler. Like it, watching this movie from '86, that as we can think did it first and best. Now that it's such a, so many different TV shows that have all got 200 plus episodes of just this same thing every week. Mm-hmm. And then the true crime stuff that is out just showing you these facts of all, you know, there's a whole channel devoted to this kind of murder documentary oh, show absolutely it's big business now. and so for this movie to still feel fresh and legitimate and cool in its profiling approach and that bring that kind of intensity from a guy fixated on his job mm-hmm. oh i think it only just keeps make the movie look better and better and better and
1: you know this movie there's a few shots like when he first enters the the bedroom and there's you see the blood kind of spray everywhere. Yeah, you get oh. a few pretty gruesome shots, but you really don't see a lot of the stuff. You get flashes of photos, crime scene photos and stuff. Yeah, but man has just such a great way. He also wrote the screenplay mm. uh, of just like letting your mind go to that dark place when when he's when he's looking at the bedroom and he's saying, you know, the husband had his throat slashed, but he started fighting when the killer started moving to the children's bedroom chilling. Oh my just god. Just chilling stuff. I'm that, so glad you brought that up. You know up. what I mean? Like It's just, they don't need to show you the gore. Um, they just let your mind go into the dark place there. Yeah, it's...
0: Yeah, that's when you know oof, you're really oof. in something deeper. And my brain, you know, it's funny you point that out, thinks of that as like a really violent scene. But we don't see any violence. You get that crazy, this is like, I'm thinking of Candyman. Just because that crime scene she wakes up to yeah. is like the person <laughs> made the Blood biggest everywhere. mess possible it is just a child getting into paint mm-hmm. and running wild with it you know he walks into that room and this whole movie he has such a great use of color he uses it in such broad ways and not in any like high art ways he uses it more to just be eye catchy as hell oh yeah so he's gonna use all the i never this movie has so much stark white has that whole 80s miami vice white suit but like white buildings mm-hmm. and everybody had white carpets and all that you know, white furniture and he walks into this super white house that's emptied out super sunny and you walk into that bedroom and it is just a horror show yeah You know, and they're you just kinda get
1: that one sweeping shot, like it doesn't linger too long. Yeah,
0: it's not doing close ups. You just see his shot of the room. And it's just the messiest blood splatter across mirrors and on the wall, the bed just soaked in blood. And as he's going through just the details, that sounds like he's gone over these details like already dozens of times. Like he's rehearsing a script. And he's talking about how each pattern developed. You get to the one in the corner that's just like We don't know how this got here. Like, they can't tie this violence to anything specific. It's just, that's unrelated blood that came from one of the attacks, but we don't know. They start detailing all this. We don't know what he did to the bodies after, you know. Exactly, yeah. You know, the thing about uh, the woman being shot in this, you know, and then she didn't die until five minutes later, that kind of thing. We get the sense of what he's these aren't just quick kills, but it's also delivered like in this clinical,
1: detached yeah way it's that so, just makes it yeah, so bone chilling. The to dead me.
0: eyes of voice, just yeah. going over facts.
1: To be in the place where such a terrible thing happened and to just be like so clinical, yeah, and methodical, He's, like processing about... data,
0: uh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. real time, and yeah, that one you said, yeah, the the splatter and this huge, gross, wavy splatter all across the wall and mirror became, yeah. The father had his throat slashed, and they say what he fought when. Yeah, he still fought. What because he saw he was moving to the kid's room, right? Right. right he right. said, "Oh God!" Like the this movie, like I said, that scene reads so violent to me, and mm-hmm. we don't see any visuals of violence. We don't see any of the act occurring, and just uh, the way he handles it is so. You already know you're just in something deep.
1: Yeah, I think that's the that that kind of speaks to the whole movie, like. It's a. It's on the surface. It's a cop going after a killer. It's very procedural. Yeah. He he uncovers clues. He uses his intuition. But it's not a superficial movie in any way. Hmm. It's very uh, just affecting and under the under the skin and and just yeah. It's it's on another level where it just uh,
0: keeps your attention. It, he does beyond a really good ju- the, the
1: facts of the case and stuff.
0: Yeah. The movie doesn't keep a really wide cast which is a strength because it allows us to really focus on and really get into the thick of it mm-hmm. with some of the characters very quick uh the famous hannibal Lecter is he even in the movie for 10 minutes may yep
1: he has basically one main scene yeah in the beginning and yeah maybe uh the first small, 20 we meet Lecter. a small one where he makes a phone call and then another one where he makes another phone call i think yeah it's it's yeah, for all the talk of how Hopkins is only in Silence of the Lambs, you know, twenty, 20 minutes, minutes or yeah. something. Yeah, he, I would say <laughs> Brian Cox is probably in eight minutes of this movie. Yeah, he's really not a major character. It's not a Hannibal Lecter movie, is the no. thing. It's, and it's 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 a, it's a Will Graham movie. Mm-hmm. It, it's and, so
0: it's I love how much of an almost uh, afterthought Lecter is. He could he could be really not in this movie at yeah. all. He is a plot device. It yeah. could have been this, any guy. It is, uh, he is a guy to transition the movie from, oh, all right, we found this clue in his room. <laughs> <You Exactly>. know <laughs> he, he, Yeah, his big contribution is that uh,
1: the, the tooth fairy, as they're calling him, the, the, yeah. guy who's the killer that they're looking for, he corresponds with uh, Lecter in the, in the cell. right? Yeah. So yeah, they kind of pick up the trail from there.
0: I wanna to get to the tooth fairy in a bit here. Oh yeah, we're we're but, gonna spend some time on <laughs> but yeah, I love Brian Cox in these scenes. That was another guy, I guess, and as I think about it, as with Peterson, I wasn't as sold on on Brian Cox's performance because he's kind of funny in the movie. He's just a, a more normal human face
1: yeah. than than Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins played. had the
0: like crazy eyes and you know, was in the the violent mask.
1: Right. Well, Anthony Hopkins plays Lecter so obviously insane. Yeah. and uh, He plays him
0: like a like he's the Joker or something. Something like that, yeah. Lecter is a Joker character.
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, he plays him <laughs> so uh, so rigid in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, Brian Cox Brian is Cox, really just like a we, guy in we a, see, in a when, white coat. When we meet Brian Cox, he is like dead asleep on the bed when <laughs> Pearson comes in. He's, he rolls over. He's very uh, almost genteel and, and kind of friendly. Yeah. But, but but then you understand that it's a false friendliness. Yeah. And he's, I love this idea. It feels almost
0: X Men like of there being this uh, ultimate brain, like a guy who's like you know, and Jody Jodie Foster really gets into that. I love how like no, if I say that, he's gonna know that I actually am talking about. You know, this guy just knows what I'm thinking mm-hmm. before I think it. How do you outsmart a guy like that? I love that kind of big brain supervillain guy behind bars but still able to manipulate all these different you know like the macgyver of psychopaths. Well, the second
1: scene is Brian Cox is uh, making a phone call and he hacks the phone. Yeah. Then in less than 2 minutes gets Will Graham's <laughs> home address. <laughs>
0: On the phone. I love that by scene by being man. the smooth
1: talker, like, oh I've got to catch FedEx Federal Express here in five minutes. He's got almost got like oh, a God. British affectation.
0: Yeah. Well, and uh,
1: yeah, and then it's like, oh shit, Lecter's got his home address. Yeah. This
0: is bad. It's such a great scene how low pulse he plays it yeah. the whole time like he has like this he's whole done this con- a dozen yeah. times even just him hacking <laughs> his jail cell phone yeah to reach an operator instead of dial out like it's all like is that a thing you do with phones with a gum wrapper <laughs> he seems to think so and it obviously worked for him just like this guy's so confident with every single step of this plan mm-hmm. that it just seems like the most normal, casual conversation the whole. It's so good.
1: But it, it's very casual in the way he does it, whereas Anthony Hopkins would have taken 10 minutes to, you know, unscrew each screw and place it on a little.: Anthony trophy. Hopkins
0: played it with a lot more uh, insane eloquence. Yeah. And elegance. Yeah. And Brian Cox is very much like a guy who recognizes that I have two total minutes before my guard is back in there. <laughs> and so I don't have tons of time with pleasantries, but I can still be a thankful gentleman in other ways. Totally. He plays it the whole, whereas Anthony Hopkins would have, he would have gotten a little more scene to chew, I think. This is more of a compact, we're playing the greatest hits and we're getting to the end of this and it's going to be fun kind right. of performance. He makes so much use of his time. And I'm glad man's the kind of director who understands the value of a cool five to eight minute character. Mm-hmm. He is one of the first directors that I noticed that as a thing, as an effective, cool thing. I'm thinking Willie Nelson in Thief. Oh, yeah. You sure, know, sure. as Okla. That's such a cool bit of casting, right? It's such a good... The scenes between the two with Khan and Nelson are just so good. And I would have never thought, you know who? (laughs) Willie. We got to get Willie. Yeah, got to get Willie for this one. Early 80s Willie, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, early 80s Willie. It's so perfect. Oh, And he just has that eye. And he... You know, Brian Cox, I heard some of the names up for this role. Jeez. Talk about a big hitter. Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah, Mel Gibson. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Playing both roles. That's like a current Mel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It <laughs> would be actually... He's transitioned into getting more of the Lecter role, I think. Right. Um, but no, I heard Dennehy. Oh. He's a guy. Wow. Which seems like... People should know at this point. We're big love Dennehy the, fans. We love him. I don't, a long think, time. I don't think I'd want it. I don't think I'd want Denahi as Lecter. I like Les- Le- uh, Lecter not being a six foot four, three hundred and ten pound linebacker. Yeah. of a guy.
1: I think Lecter's supposed to be more of the unassuming, you know, psychiatrist character. Who's yeah, yeah. I- imagining Dennehy trying to pull off the you know psychiatrist serial killer.
0: Yeah, be Le- int- it would
1: have been interesting.
0: Lecter, but- I do like the Anthony Hopkins element of this guy doesn't miss any opportunity to advance his plan. Mm -hmm. He really had that, like, don't turn your back for one point. You know, you will be dead. Like, he is such a, like, ninja of of psychopathy. And Brian Cox definitely plays it with a little bit more of a malaise. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't get that same sense that he's going to just bite a guy's face off.
1: Well, and that's the the last scene you see him in when he actually has a phone conversation with Will Graham about halfway through the movie. Yeah. Maybe a little more. He's like laying on the bed like a 13-year-old <laughs> girl. Yeah, with with his, his feet up on the wall. Feet on the wall. Oh. He's got like a blanket under the pillow that he's <laughs> yeah. kind of resting on. And he's, he's like gossiping. Yeah. It's so it's funny. so good. <laughs> so, yeah, he just I plays him I was so like,
0: into the gossip scene this time. It's like
1: he... It's like... Uh, Anthony Hopkins' goal as Hannibal Lecter was to get out of that jail cell. Yeah. I feel like Brian Cox is like resigned. He's like this is where I am. Dude. Anthony Hopkins not gonna is the, get out. the most
0: violent Batman villain. Right. Like he just only focused on his escape and then causing more violence. Mhm. Or is this Hannibal Lecter's just like yeah, kicking his feet up. Yeah.
1: He's like yeah, it's taco night, you know, guys yeah. are going to come over later yeah what's happening with makes you? the
0: most of his daily interactions <laughs> you know
1: like, did you get you catch that tooth fairy guy yet mm, yeah that's a bummer it's sorry i so, gave him
0: your address <laughs> there's a line the second i even started talking about it today before the recording you knew exactly where i was headed i don't know why this never stuck with me as much this time that first scene with Brian Cox the mm-hmm. first scene of the movie i ever saw right this is the scene i come in on where hannibal lecter is figuring out his plan and oh you're only doing this because you're trying to get me to say this you know he's going through this long monologue and this is, got this great snappy back and forth about no i don't think you're smarter than blah 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 you know right right yeah. <laughs> and it builds to the line you said it so perfectly now i'm going to put you on the spot oh okay but the, the well, it like, killed well, me. Well,
1: Will Graham, uh, you're talking about where he says, uh, you know, you had disadvantages.
0: Yeah. How did you catch me? If
1: I'm smarter than you, how'd you catch me? You had disadvantages. What disadvantages? You're insane. <laughs> it's such a... <laughs> it's a great It's bit. such a
0: Paul Rudd answer. <laughs> it, shut him, it shut him down, too. It worked. Yeah, just shut Lecter down. You're insane. You're insane. <laughs> it feels like such more of a modern Marvel movie joke. Mm. where there's always this tongue-in-cheek interplay between supervillains. That's something Thor would say to Loki. Yeah, mm, right. You're insane. You're insane. <laughs> and it's so I like choked That's on great. my coffee watching it last night. I just... Why did I not remember this? That's funny. Line? It's such a... And I think that line is what... That was the moment in the movie, 20 minutes in, where I was like, well, apparently I love William, William Peterson. <laughs> apparently I'm loving him as Will Graham. Nice. But... We I keep. like him, too. I like him, too. I just think those <laughs> those few outbursts,
1: especially the... Sport is weird. Sport's killings. a weird one. They gotta stop. It just... I feel like that's, like, how... That's something my brother would say to, like, make me laugh. Like, that would become, like, an inside joke if I saw this as a kid or something, you know?
0: <laughs> it feels they like... stop. When I think of other <laughs> actors delivering that line, for some reason, I'm thinking Michael Douglas. I'm just picturing a Michael long-haired Shaggy Douglas... Do not the killings? They gotta stop.
1: Or, or actually, what I was thinking because I have I've had that Tobin Bell scene from Boiling Point stuck in my head. I'm in a cage. I'm in a cage, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see Tobin Bell being like, they gotta stop, man. Killings.
0: (laughs) this this Mike this Michael Douglas movie. This is the dumbest aside ever. You might have this on Laserdisc. The The Ghost in the Darkness. Ooh, I think I the do. The lion hunting movie. I I kind of like that movie. <laughs> there's this. I haven't seen it in twenty years, but Dude, when I did,
1: I was like, "This is pretty good."
0: There's this line in that movie when me and my buddy saw. This is just like what you would right. the hypothetical with your brother. This is with that movie. So he's going to build like bridges in Africa. Mm -hmm. And there's the whole movie is about, yeah, we're trying to build this bridge and the area lions are just eating everybody. (laughs) It's the worst bridge building ever. We can't build bridges.
1: The lions are killing too many of us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) when he's going over to build a bridge, this is like the female version of the killings. They gotta stop. (laughs) He's going to build bridges. And his wife tells him, go where the water is. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Thanks, honey.
0: Yeah, it's my job. We're not building city walks. We're building. Oh, it's shit. Africa.
1: They need bridges over their big rivers. Now, was he like a guy who had never built a bridge before in his life and no. was like, I don't know why I got this assignment? Yeah,
0: just Val bridges. Kilmer
1: getting to. Told to follow them, He's, Bridges, man. She says it. He looks up from like a Bridges one hundred and one, like book. Huh? I haven't gotten Beautiful.
0: there yet, but yes. Yeah. A, it's yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Makes sense. That feels like water. the the poor the the line the poor wife is given. This that feels the right. <laughs> anytime, anytime,
1: yeah. I could I, I could definitely see that being a line. Like anytime there's a lull in the conversation, like yeah. go where the water is.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. You just learned what it. this guy did. We've been dating like a week. Love that. And so I like that, you know, I actually do like his interactions with um, his wife in this movie. And oh, yeah. I Kim Greased? Kim Greased. Great 80s actress. Except I don't really like her in Brazil, which is the thing oh, I think of when mm. I think of Kim Greased. Mm-hmm. I really like her in this movie. She feels like a softer, more uh relatably wife, Glenn Close. Oh, yeah. In this movie, which I would have gotten none of in Brazil. And I think it's the right tone for her character. Sometimes the wife characters in these profiler movies are the most thankless yeah. roles. You know? And I like how she never For well, the
1: family, right. They always get left behind.
0: Yeah, these family right. are the most unimportant suckers. In a profiler movie, right? And I like that she not wasn't necessarily important, but she played it as a more supportive person. Right. Oh, yeah. Than a, uh, the person tearing the family apart person. She, she,
1: well, she understood the man that she knows, right? Yeah. This guy's dedicated to the, and to I the think, job. Right? And I think
0: that knowledge, and that felt so much more special and real to me as a character, that knowledge of that she actually knows her husband. She right. knew this would do this. She even gets one line that's like, you know your mind's already made up. When he's like kind of asking her, like, oh, what yeah. do you what would you think if I went back to, you know. Right. But it could have taken a fork right then and there. That line is important. And this is what really sold me on her small part in, but important part in this movie. That could have taken the tone of her character into the family tearing apart. Mm -hmm. You know, you already had your mind made up. She could have read that just slightly differently. Bitter. And would have had such a more bitter, hostile, caustic tone that you would have known, now we got to get to that part of the Profiler movie where his life actually does fall apart at home. And he's... We got to really show his personal crisis that he's going through. And the movie is smart enough and well-crafted enough to show that personal crisis in more interesting ways than family drama.
1: Yeah. Even when they have to relocate them because the killer knows where they live, she's like, this is good enough. We're fine.
0: Yeah. She's not playing you know? it like a total old vet, yeah. cool customer, but she understands what baggage comes with this <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. And I like that for the role. I, th- that, I think that makes the role much more memorable. And I-, I love that. I don't know how... I don't know where that input came from. But I'm giving it to all parties. <laughs> giving credit to all parties. Because I really liked that interplay.
1: It gives him some emo- emotional anchor. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. he's dealing with families are being killed. And he's got the family. I liked his kid, too. The the great scene in the, sh- in the grocery store aisle. Oh, yeah. Him and his kid talking. He kind of tells the kid about how Lecter actually attacked him he's back i love the day that and, that sense of realness a great, great scene yeah and this
0: this wonderfully communicative relationship i love when his kid actually asks him about this job that he sees his dad mentally affected mm-hmm. you know this eight-year-old understands it or younger even
1: something like that but yeah he kind of he's kind of He's got that, like, you were in the hospital, and then, and then your mind was sick, and then this... You know, yeah, so he's, he's pieced
0: together of... things that he's heard, right. and this is him finally giving him more adult explanations and not holding back. And actually not trying to frighten him and trying to wreck this kid's life. And that could have... It, the scene could have been played like that, too, where he scars yeah. his kid. I think that's more common. And I like that he tried to take his son to a place of understanding. And it was that, it was kind of more touching and felt more real that this father and son were trying to communicate right. like that, you know? And it's such a less juicy way to make a movie like this. It's easier to get, you know, memorable scenes with more drama. And right. the fact that he underplays no, this kind of no stuff. There's no like crying
1: kind of scene, breakdown scene. But but yeah, of course, you know, I, I do think it like you said, he's he kind of gives the kid the most adult version of the story he can give him and kind of yeah. relate to him. And then the kid's like, so uh, what kind of coffee you like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Let's change the subject. Folgers, right, dad? But, but
1: the kid says it in the very much like, all right, dad, I get it. We're good. You know?
0: So but I like that too. Yeah. And I'll tell you why this is going to sound great scene. This, maybe I'm reading too much into this. I love as a kid, um, where you first start trying to understand your parents, mmm as people other than your parents. You try to get their ticks down, you know? And that starts when you're about that kid's age, seven, eight years old. Right. You start learning what sets your parents off. You start learning what kind of things they laugh at on TV. You know their favorite TV show. And so I like that kind of thing of the kid asking, you guys like Folgers, right? My parents drank the U-Ban can, you know, that okay. brown can, with the like orange top or whatever. Yeah. They would get the Folgers. Make their coffee. Now they get, you know, fancy. We didn't have as many coffee options. Coffee in, has uh, evolved a bit since 1990. The yeah. Um, that's true. But I noticed, you know, my parents buy the same brand of coffee every time. I don't drink coffee. But, you know, I love those kids noticing those things. And mm-hmm. so I liked how they ended on more of like a, man, this family is recognizing each other. These right. These people are recognizing what they want in this family
1: and that's that's just another aspect of why this movie is so much deeper than just a crime procedural catch the bad guy before he kills again yeah kind of plot that that you could see it as but uh, i really
0: love all the real-time developments of william peterson and uh, dennis farina trying to figure out their next steps in stopping this killer the movie spends half of its runtime with no sight of the killer yeah, we should uh, probably get fairy. in. <laughs> well, We've been going long enough without what a, talking about the Tooth Fairy fe- yet. Look man, there's so much more Peterson detail. I got <laughs> We haven't talked about Peterson's sport coats yet. There's so much more Bill Peets to go. Are we pre- cuz once we're on Noonan, we're going to be on Noonan for like 20 minutes. So when we're diving right. into the Tooth Fairy, we're we're nooning it up. Just letting you know, 45 minutes in, the Tooth Fairy Every other serial killer at that point in time had, like, you know, the Night Stalker. You That's know, right. they're always, like, these really, like, horror movie titles. These Hammer horror films. Just, like, awful stuff. And then the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, because the guy's putting in these crazy teeth to bite women that he murdered. Like, yeah, the Tooth Fairy. No, no. We could do better,
1: guys. I'm surprised with all the details that you learn about how what he eventually does with the bodies. Like that's the question at the beginning: what does he do with the bodies? And you kind of learn, like how that became the one thing that stuck. Yeah, that is seems to be like the most pedestrian part of these killings is the biting part.
0: Yeah, the biting you hear about like once, and you see we do get a great scene of him putting in his. uh, Oh yeah, but I like how they they go with Tooth Fairy, and then it's a. It's brought up very early once we establish the Tooth Fairy nickname. That the police chief goes, Look, I know some of you guys have been calling this guy the Tooth Fairy and I yeah. don't like it. Right. All right, let's I don't stop see it. it. Yeah, yeah. And then like a week later it's like, Well, he's officially the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> it's like no nobody stopped it. Some news reporter picked up on it. And we get for and let's get to the most hapless movie character. Chris Elliott. <laughs> no, no, oh god! Chris Elliott is the best man. I remember. So, what is Chris Elliott
1: doing in this movie? Let me tell for, you for his one line. I, I'm a
0: huge Chris Elliott fan. Oh, <laughs> you for, might know this. We know. Oh, you we might know. know this. We know this. Um, man, getting Cabin Boy at the Salvation Army on VHS <laughs> when I was like eleven. That's a, a red letter. Oh guy. yeah. Oh, loving it. Big fan of this guy. And a few years ago, he did a cabin boy screened in the Castro. Mm-hmm. And he did a QA. And of course, I'm going, tickets were like 10 bucks. Right. And I asked him, I was like, I asked him about being in movies like, <laughs> like this, you know, or The Abyss. Right. And he's just
1: like, plain, straight, just regular parts. Yeah. yeah. And
0: he's like, yeah, I wasn't really like a. St- widely recognized tv character and but i had to name the business due to his due to his father Uh another comedian and so he's like so the roles i started getting were just like no they need this distracted distracting fuzzy haired (laughs) awful bearded guy to show up for one scene and be like wait who is this guy again I think he has one line in the movie where he's he's like explaining how
1: they didn't didn't find any
0: prints on yeah, something. Like it's his, so distracting his in 2020 to just see like this Chris Elliott just playing like a guy, just vest wearer number four. God. And he was it that was that happened. So suddenly he would be out of nowhere. He became this kind of cult star on Letterman. You
1: I was going to ask if he had already been on Letterman at this point, because yeah, that, that's kind of where he made his, his right name. Right in there. Yeah.
0: Uh, same time. And then suddenly he like blew up on, as like a cult Letterman guy. And then it was like, oh, yeah, who's this distracting guy and like <laughs> showed up at one scenes of dramas? Funny. So that at a certain point, I think he said he Pay made it bills. a point to just not. He's like, no, I can't pull it off. It doesn't work. Yeah, I
1: mean, I get him doing that in, in uh, the – the 80s once he was more established and had uh, right. enough gigs of uh, that were in his wheelhouse once you get kind of a personality i think in that kind of way it'd be it'd be like seeing like seth rogan doing one line on a crime
0: procedural like, yeah you'd just be like why <laughs> that doesn't make any sense why is he doing that there's like a and there's like a first season nypd blue with michael ian black is a exact, street punk? Right, right exactly. It's so good. Yeah, I know. So what? <laughs> <laughs> he's that guy in Law and Order. It's a, is Except, that, isn't that like a John Mullaney
1: bit where he's like the guy who's too busy to like <laughs> the stop stacking talking craze. or to stop to talk? Yeah, he yeah. didn't come in on Tuesday. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's him just sitting on a park bench listening to his headphones. That's great. Yeah, it's Seth Rogen. And that does kind of make me cry one solitary tear that. I bet there would be at this point a really good Chris Elliott serious role performance. I think it can happen. It it's funny I think we he can seems get like there. the
1: perfect guy to have gone in that direction, like a Bill Murray direction where uh-huh. you start doing He he had some movie come out with his like he made with his family in the last year or two that might be huh. a little bit more on that line but uh, yeah, thinking about you Chris. Yeah. All right, so who's the real uh hapless character that you were going to talk about?
0: The journalist, man. The, oh, man. Freddie Lowndes. This fucking what guy. What a, the most annoying, this guy is the, this guy is like Kenny Banion on Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. This is like the Kenny Banyan to an FBI profiler. I I hated this guy. Yeah. I, I forgot he existed. such a hateable
1: uh, character. It's, it's been a while since I've seen this last, so yeah, I forgot he was a part of this thing, but oh my God, did I want to punch him every single second he was on screen.
0: Yeah. I hated can't. that guy this guy is such like i cannot believe the level of cool this guy achieved post this character this is the dude in like did you say that horror movie don't breathe the blind vet oh yeah 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 it's that guy what that's the same guy that's freddy flowns he was yeah. like the he's like the villain in avatar they have the big oh mech my suit. god. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, it's now i am seen it. Now I'm seeing Except it. Except
0: he's this asshole Holy in shit. Manhunter. That's amazing. What a weird jump that I wouldn't have expected watching this movie. Oh, that's
1: great. I kinda he was kind of <laughs> my favorite part of Avatar.
0: Yeah. He's honestly. the only cool thing in Avatar.
1: Oh, that's great. I love that. He's I had no cool, idea. Yeah. No idea. It's
0: that guy. Beautiful. And so this is one of the most annoying, punchable, and he does get punched. Oh. Uh, and then ca- and more. then worse yeah. <laughs> uh characters in cinema like somehow i think my brain keeps blocking out this dude i've seen this movie four times and i'm always i always forget it's like going back on the office and realizing just how much andy bernard there is uh-huh. and how unbearable <laughs> it is and it's like god we are really getting dialed up to 11 freddie right out of the gates in this one yeah, I forget how on this guy is from minute one. Oh man, I hate What him. a character! I hate him. Hey, East News, I'm doing my jab. Oh, I hate him so. You can. F- it's
1: like a slummin- and then he's just like,
0: "How do you do him, Will? How do you do him?" It's like, "Come on, man!" Give it's me a such break. a slumming Eric Roberts him. kind of role. <laughs> like you know, he made me
1: think of the uh, the the journalist character in. Uh, The eighty nine Batman.
0: Yeah, dude, (laughs) this is a this is a yeah. That's a Robert Wool. Robert Wool. It needed the gravitas that a Robert Wool Wool, could bring to this character. (laughs) This movie is a Batman movie. (laughs) (laughs) Silence of the Lambs is a Batman. Way too many parallel uh, universe. Yeah, too many Um, comparisons. This guy. So I was glad he got killed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. It worked for me because I, yeah. all right, this is, this is, no. so it's come going. to this, yeah. huh? No, no, I
1: got, I just want to, when we talk about his, his uh, demise, I have one thing I want to bring get up. Get to
0: his demise first because I think he well, was he, such a, like, get this guy off of my screen. Why does this guy keep coming back? They play the thing where they try to insult the killer in the
1: papers oh to, my God. to draw He's, him out, which is a great idea. This guy is thing. so
0: Jimmy pesto to like Bob, this guy just lives to just get under this dude's skin. Totally, even though he's got his own thing going on. And then they have to work together for a while because this plan that you were bringing up.
1: Yeah, they they they're trying to draw him out from the papers. Draw
0: draw out the tooth fairy, uh, and the they public. do.
1: The tooth fairy grabs Freddy uh, in a parking lot. Well, they That's said this when we first see the form, the shape <laughs> of the tooth fairy. The the. Uh, Dude, impossibly Tom tall. Tom Noonan is Michael Myers. Tom Noonan. Oh yes, yeah. this is straight up Michael Myers. the same thing. His, no. <laughs> this is Michael
0: Mann making a Halloween movie in a yeah, lot of ways. Kind of,
1: yeah. Um, but in the
0: best ways.
1: But Freddy basically gets it. He gets killed. Dude, and the he, Freddy
0: death is that thing it's where it's a
1: very <laughs> scary scene. He plays scared very well, which you like to see. You want to see him scared because you hate him so much. My no. <laughs> pants would have been the wettest. Were oh. I in his position, oh, yeah, I lo- that's no, we- I would have been openly weeping, yeah, like the way, the fact that he's not just screaming bloody murder, yeah, and and uh, yeah, it's like
0: that's our introduction to the tooth fairy, and it's our first it, scene. we get this great, this is one of my favorite, you know, big parts in Silence of the Lambs, it's so wild how. I don't know if this is a Thomas Harris thing or if they just independently made this exact decision where we have this moment of visual misdirection for the viewer. Mm. In Silence of the Lambs, the, you know, the FBI is hot on the trail of the address of where the killer is and we're getting these cut scenes of Jodie Foster right going up to buffalo bill's house right right, right. Who, and we don't know who's what, where right right, right. yeah Remember we don't know one. where we you know it's the visual the easy visual trick of you think they're all converging on the same location but they're converging on two different locations yeah and so we get a different bit of misdirection with the appearance of the tooth fairy where the tooth fairy was actually making an appearance somewhere else because we get the jogger and the big SWAT, thirty-person sure. SWAT takedown that, see the that they think is the Tooth Fairy, and then we just cut to this quick scene of the Tooth Fairy straight uh, chloroforming chloroform. yeah. this reporter outside of his van. Just the oldest, like, nope. He wore a uh, he drove a black-painted, suspicious-looking van. <laughs> He's an unmissable six-foot-seven. And he chloroformed a man as if he were Darth Vader. Yeah. By lifting him two feet off the ground yeah, by the face. You get the legs like
1: squiggling uh, in the air kind of scene. Yeah. yeah.
0: He's the most unmissable dude in any county. And he's this guy who's killed. And I, I, I also love the detail of the families of these murders being spaced apart. Mm. This guy isn't just taking off easy pickings. It's little... Bits of character detail like that that we get. This guy isn't a typical guy who got the urge to kill, and now he's just going around his neighborhood. Right. You know we've evolved. Right. Past you know that.
1: he's he, he's not just cruising around looking for randos.
0: Yeah, the fact that we establish in such simple ways that he stakes these victims out, and then we get the recreations of the stakeouts. We we spend an hour not seeing Tom Noonan, but mm-hmm. we spend almost that entire hour. Learning about Tom Noonan. Mm -hmm. It's such a cool way to film this whole movie. I learned afterwards that Tom Noonan refused to meet William Peterson in this movie. He refused to meet the actor that played Three Clowns while they were filming. He wanted the first time they interacted to be their first scene together. Interesting. A lot of method acting stuff. Is just, uh, oh, yeah, you should just try acting. (laughs) You know? No, but
1: that's cool because, yeah, you get that. uh, It adds to the genuine feel
0: of this thing. You don't want to end up, yeah, it turns out we have a lot in common. Great guy. Hard to be scared around (laughs) him. Yeah, hilarious. So the fact that they didn't see each other and he didn't see Freddy. Picture this actor playing Freddy. God, I've said Freddy so many times. The first time you see Tom Noonan is him wearing his butterfly collar polyester shirts that he's had for 10 years with a pantyhose pulled down over his face and some wild tooth denture imprint from his cleft palate staring you inches from your face. That's your first visual of this actor. And he just goes,
1: and he has, when we see him, yeah, he he finally says, here I am. Mm Mm-hmm. How, all like these the, weird pauses going on, and just such a bizarre. So we kind of like memorable, but bizarre. Throughout our our
0: uh, our podcast so far, we've kind of landed on a lot of movies by chance, by like some guy getting brought up during an episode, and then after the episode's done, we're like, hey, we should do an episode on that. Exactly. And I think uh, what Tom Noonan we brought up during uh, FX. Oh yeah, oh, he's yeah. what. The distractingly large henchman in the background. Six, six foot How seven Tom, dude in the suit Tom Noonan. In suit. God bless him. I will go out of my way to watch anything with Tom Noonan. He's just one of those guys. Right. That brings something to every performance. But, and he's doing it while being a freak show center of a man. It's crazy. How did this guy get any gigs? How do you find anybody to play opposite? Well... It's one of those things
1: like Dennehy kind of too, where it's like Dennehy was like a football player in his youth and got into acting despite maybe not being the typical look. Yeah, like so Noonan must have had some kind of thing like that too. Like probably wasn't any good at basketball or you know whatever it yeah. was, and then you know it's like oh I'll I'll, I'll uh, do some high school theater and it, it maybe gets. But yeah, it's like such a like.
0: Yeah, I mean he's he's such a fascinating guy because he's this mix of this John Sales writer and like stage performer uh you know he's written several small independent productions Mm. uh and he had one really famous one the one that kind of like was his uh my dinner with andre it was called what happened was okay it was like his art house flick but that came after he was able to earn money by playing like the villain in last action hero know those kind of people the yeah. villain in RoboCop 2 <laughs> you know that's what like because this guy's six foot seven the only roles he can play are like well uh you know there's an x-man movie coming <laughs> out one of them is a tall freak uh love him in house of the devil Recent new
1: how's the devil It'll be a well, ten years ten years old by now but yeah uh yeah Dan- he's he's a great just damages was like
0: a great he uh, he played like a detective on damages and mm. so I loved that I you know had seen him as the serial killer and this and then seeing him finally play a detective has he he's has he ever done
1: a David Lynch because h- doesn't
0: he feel like the most Lynch kind of guy a, to I show I had up? a
1: flashback to Lost Highway with the two giant detectives. Mm. Who uh, come to their house in the beginning?
0: Yeah, and just like man, that would have been a perfect Noonan feels like. Spot. He feels like such an obvious David Lynch choice that I can only assume that there is some kind of beef between them. <laughs> I can only assume a feud, even though we haven't. There just has to be a good reason that one of them doesn't want to work with the other. Absolutely, feels like a great match. Yeah, Tom Noonan had. How that, does he not get the giant in Twin Peaks? You know, role. No. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. He's just not giant enough. There was a bigger giant. There's a bigger, two-inch taller giant. You're always going to learn that, kids. There's always a bigger giant. It's funny you bring that up because I also learned in one of the little extra features on the DVD, which I skimmed through, I think, for the first time last night, (laughs) David Lynch was close to being the director on this movie. He was interested in it. Picture 1986 David Lynch, the Year of Our God, Blue Velvet. Yeah. Instead, taken on a crime procedural. Think about how badly you want to see a Lynch crime procedural, because every Lynch movie has crime proceedings. Oh yeah. There's all cops oh, are a staple. Blue Velvet of it.
1: is at at heart a crime movie.
0: Every Lynch movie yeah. is from the standpoint of the criminal. Yeah. We Ooh, have never yeah. gotten a Lynch movie. <laughs> Following the procedural aspects of the case. That could have been our Lynch Noonan uh, collab, but another universe. And this is what I love about the man. He read Mm -hmm. the script and thought there wasn't anything redeeming in it, and it was just for degenerates. That childlike, like this guy can make some of the most disturbing visuals, but he has this specific set of morals where something is trashy or something is just garbage. Wow. And I love that he sticks to that state. Like, no, this is too, you know, he'll do the most creative violence, but something about this is just like, no, this is too sick for me. Hmm.
1: That's weird. I'd lo- I think there is a lot of redeeming stuff in this
0: movie, but I think so too. Before but maybe, we, before but we that... get
1: too far, I got to say, Freddie, his death, he gets killed. He has to deliver a manifesto and then he gets bitten to death. Yeah. Then he gets driven to an underla- underground parking garage strapped to a wheelchair, <laughs> lit on fire, and rolled into a garage.
0: That's why this movie's what so... What a
1: beautiful scene that was.
0: Oh, yeah. This movie's so expert at not showing the violence. This movie, I came... I come away with it thinking it's a violent movie. It's really not. And I think it's a lot of that. similar eight years later, before I had seen it, Pulp Fiction was talked about as the most violent damned thing that had come out in, you know, in our popular cinemas. Yeah. You watch that movie. There's so much of that violence that's implied. You don't see a guy's head actually getting blown off. You see chunks of stuff hit in the back window. You don't actually see Bruce Willis gut a guy with a sword. It all happens underneath the camera. Mm-hmm. And Manhunter shook me so bad. <laughs> and I'm thinking back. and I was like, I didn't see any of this gore. You know, Freddy gets bit to death and we can only assume that because we've been spending an hour learning about this guy's motivations. We don't see any of it. Mm -hmm. We just fill in the pieces because we've been just recited these facts about him for the whole first hour of the movie. And all you see is him close in around Freddy for the worst kiss ever with these big dentures. The scene where Tom Noonan fills in his mouth. There's that same unsettling. Uh, remember Javier Javier Bardem in that Bond movie, where he had to use a dental implant to prop up his face. Yeah, 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 yeah. To prop up his one jawline so it didn't sag. There's that scene where he takes out his implant, and it's just like, oh god, it makes him such like a villain freak. Yeah. And it's this same vibe. I think you know it had to be lifted right from Manhunter, because it's that same vibe where Tom Noonan freak he thinks he's a freak (laughs) yeah yeah he tries to function in normal society but he knows and has accepted that he's a freak and that putting in those dentures which we've already seen the forensics guys put a full denture palette together Mm -hmm. and you are clacking shut and this is the first time you see the man operating those chompers (laughs) you know this is the first time you get richard keel as jaws man and he's just biting down with these big old mouth full of teeth. Suddenly you didn't realize how empty Tom Noonan's mouth felt. When hmm. he's talking and confronting Freddy, when he wakes him up to find himself duct taped to a chair. And he, it,
1: it, it it seems like he's having trouble talking a little bit. Yeah. And some of that something scene. seems off yeah. about
0: his speech. Something seems off about him his mouth. There's feelings of that, you know, Marlon Brando cotton ball mouth. <laughs> And you're trying to figure what is going on with this guy's face. Mm-hmm. I still don't know what they specifically did and added and took away to make him sound and look the way he did. But there was a lot of visual, subtle manipulation of Tom Noonan, who already has an insane look. He's like the six foot seven Mr. Burns. Yeah. Who's into weightlifting. But he's such a big guy, and he kind of is
1: able to play that role hunched and. You know he doesn't see himself as this big, confident personality. He plays yeah. it so
0: well. I like punch shoulders. I and... like what he does with his body. You don't see a lot of large physical actors. Physical acting is a lot of small man's work. Mm-hmm. That's why it's weird when somebody like Chevy Chase is taking <laughs> Brad Falls. He's a taller guy, and the physical work he does, where you get the sense of his size. He's a Big guy. I've been saying 6'7". That's kind of a guess. I think that's what Based they say Based on my pro wrestling eyeball. I think they say that in the movie, yeah. And, he, and Tom Noonan is just huge. And you realize you see all these tall actors, and he just feels even taller. Guys like Jeff Goldblum or John Cusack or Tim Robbins. Guys that are all hitting that 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, these are tall dudes. And Tom Noonan is just big bigger Just taller, just taller, just man, going. and he's got that big old John Miller head. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, right. And like dome, the way he uses his frame. There's so many scenes where he's slouched and he has yep. this kind of comical pot belly and these sloping dumb shoulders and this hangdog expression. Yep. And there's other times like he is this powerful, large, muscular red dragon you know the way he uses his body in scenes really just dictates every scene that he's in it's such a quiet performance he's a quiet man in mm-hmm. the role cool choice
1: very cool yeah and yeah, it's great that we do get to kind of follow him in this second half of the movie and and uh, we you know it's almost there's almost a bit of sympathy it actually reminded me a lot of uh, maniac how we just know oh, yeah. we own we know, you know, we know only the degenerate part of this person. And then about halfway through the movie, it's like, oh, he's like talking to a woman and having dates and <laughs> yeah. putting on this show. And I and love that, that. Noonan doesn't quite put on the suave thing that, that uh, we see no, but, Spinel in Spinell and Maniac. but he's, Yeah, Spinell's more of like, I, I love how. But he's able to, you know, take a woman home and have he's, dinner. He's and, a
0: guy who can show that he knows what a woman likes and wants. This is not some quiet, dumb you know, incel take, like the way they would make the movie now. Right. You know, now you'd get something like the human centipede where it's just a total degenerate who can't function in any modern society living in his basement hell.
1: Right. And, and there's no, like, he's not the closet homosexual that could have so easily been the thing in 1986 to make the bad guy,
0: you know? Oh yeah. That kind of character. Oh gosh. So that was that would definitely be a thing that would have been uh, it would have been that was the peak era for that kind of thing (laughs) that next three to four years was when that would have happened. I'm sure it did, but in fact, he's he's vain enough to be insulted when his masculinity is insulted. That whole ad you talked about them taking out was like just mocking him Mm -hmm. and hitting all these it's almost like a little jab at the other movies that have tackled this kind of a serial killer. You know, you even, it immediately tackles, like, the Norman Bates comparison. Like, it's thought that this man uh, had sexual relations with his mother. Right. You know, they're just blatantly insulting this guy and, like, can't maintain an erection. Like, they're really, like, <laughs> they're just acting like it's this innocent, like, Blame hey, it on. everybody, there's a guy in the area, he's got a Useless limp dick. He's a total don't weiner. worry about this flaccid dong. This guy
1: sucks. Oh, you like to kill families? Well, you're a tiny little baby dick.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then nothing came out because like they're just running this guy down. My life. <laughs> yeah. They're looking for that reaction out yep. of him. Like, this is the way to like, and they're getting a kick out of making this ad. And you just know when Dennis Freena laughs when the guy talks about it, it's, uh, it's said he can't maintain uh, right. due to his tiny, but she doesn't even know it's in there. Because, <laughs> you know, and Dennis Freena's like, <laughs> yeah, right? That'll get em. The tiniest dick. And then, oh, guess what? He's murdering your partner because he saw right through your obvious scheme and now he's burning a man. <laughs> so that whole scene, picture this whole scene of Tom Noonan This quiet, weird, punched guy with a man, an actor, who's never seen Tom Noonan before, opening his eyes up to that sight. That's great. Him in pantyhose and the way that ending, man. This is such a long scene. It's probably only like four minutes long. It feels like an eternity. This guy is just squirming. You get to see Tom Noonan's kind of gorgeous art deco country home. The style in this. Uh, in this Tom Noonan house and his shirts.
1: He's got like this purple, kind of wavy design shirt later. He's dressed
0: like Max Cady in Cape Fear. He's got like the bleached, wearing his clothes they gave you out of prison look. Bleach blonde balding hair. Oh, yeah man. man. Yeah, we we get this but we've already learned all this stuff about how his mind works. And we get this introduction to him. And I love that in his house it's so much different. We get the same kind of introduction to Buffalo Bill once we see his house. Except Buffalo Bill's house looks like one of those houses in a Harvey Cormine movie that are just squalor. Yeah. He's got this whole basement. Like, yep, that's a serial. Yep, this is the house. Yeah. This is it. Whereas Tom Noonan kind of lives in kind of a hip one story. And this guy has good taste in art. You know, he has actual. he doesn't just have bare walls with, like, knives stuck in them. You know, he has pieces of art in his house, whether they be good or bad. He has a little bit of style. He has made some stylistic choices. He has a wraparound leather couch. He can make dinner. Yeah. You know, and a gin and tonic. Yeah. You know, he can host. It's showing us the normal, not just a psychopath guy. I like that we get this 100% pure picture of a total degenerate Unabomber psychopath. And our first introduction to him is him indeed as a psychopath. But as the camera keeps pulling back, we see his house. And we see, oh, he seems like he kind of lives a somewhat hip lifestyle. I
1: love the dining room chairs he's got. They've got this like 2D
0: painted kind of look to them. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, you say that scene with Freddy where he's lit on fire. After having to read his basically ISIS confessional. Yeah. That actually, it turns out the Tooth Fairy's a pretty cool guy. and uh, (laughs) He means it. He's (laughs) able to be just like rock hard, like a lot, like a lot, actually. And it's impressive. Like he's reading this long note for the first time of like, just like, yeah. It's like, you're going to be sorry you said that about me.
1: (laughs) Kind of a note, yeah.
0: And it's kind of this guy that saw the plan but is responding it's you see it now with it's just a it's a twitter thread it's one it's two smart people arguing stupidly just for like 15 posts and it's like you know both of these guys are smart but it's like this guy is a tiny dick and it's like actually it's kind of cool and it's like
1: <laughs> that's what personal ads were back in the day yeah. <laughs> before twitter and you just had to respond once a week to each other <laughs>
0: so i love this tom Noonan quiet creepy violent man who also you get to see him genuinely charming a woman mm-hmm. and i like that detail that this is not a full sociopath this is not a guy who doesn't regard human life and they hint at that remember how weirdly we took the last time we saw halloween in a theater where they where we were finally like wait so did michael myers eat a dog
1: <laughs> right like, He's did, an inhuman. Evil did we
0: ever hear force. that before? He ate a whole dog, right? Just a raw just dog in a and kitchen. Then
1: bit into a dog. He and just started ate eating just it. a
0: loose dog. <laughs> and, and so I like how this movie. We talked about this guy's Michael Myers He's got some
1: class in this one. Yeah,
0: he specifically brings up their cat was missing we don't know if he also kills pets. Oh, And then yeah, William yeah. Pearson's like, do bring check the, the backyard, maybe the cat died recently and the kids buried it. And like, they cover, they throw that out real quick. Like, turns out the kids buried it. He didn't kill the cat. <laughs> so that like, threw out that level he's of detail for him. Yeah, he's not a crate. So it's like, I love that he's not inhuman. This is not the shape. Mm-hmm. We see him as the shape. The guy's as big as any of the dudes that played Michael Myers, at least. But he's, you know, but he's insane. He's insane. <laughs> That's the problem. That it all goes back to those two lines. He thinks he's. How'd you catch me? You know, he he You're thinks insane. he's a
1: god among among men, and you know, talks to the reporter like he's a worm. And he, but it's but it's also coming from that kind of obvious serial killer. You know, uh, what do you call it? A trope where they're frustrated with women, and sure they, they want to be loved, and no one loves them, and yeah. so they make them love them through this. Whole, but so he's insane.
0: He's insane, but so so much of what I love, and it's so great that, like I said, since this movie has so few actual major characters, I love the focus and the casting for each of them. Joan Allen is not really in this movie a lot. We don't see her till deep into the movie, mm-hmm. and she's so good. She's the lady that he he uh, date takes on the date, yeah. And, and, and likes. I, it's that I, I'm I'm really ha- I hadn't made that connection, but I really like that you brought up Maniac. Because we see Joe Spinell on a date with Caroline Munro. Right. And he's like a charming kind of guy. And you look at him, he's like this ugly, meaty, doughy guy. And But you can see. And I love how Lustig confirmed it to us. He's like, no, women loved him.
1: Like, oh, yeah. guy Benel was, was like, a charmer.
0: Yeah, he was so charming. He had that I bet confidence. Noonan is a charmer. And Noonan has that same yeah. vibe, I man. I bet Noonan
1: is a total, like, I, would, I bet he's
0: just the coolest guy to hang out with. But Spinell is so much more creepily, he's not a, he looks creepy, even though he doesn't really act creepy. He's genuinely suave to this yeah. woman. He just looks like a creep, and we view him as a creep, because we've seen do him nothing but the grossest stuff. Yeah. And Noonan, though, these scenes with him and Joan Allen are, have a sweetness to them,
1: And they feel genuine. They, it doesn't feel like he's yeah. putting on a role the way that Spinell kind of feels like he's acting as this suave guy, yeah. Noonan, it feels like he's so his whole thing as this killer is seen. His yeah. whole thing is he's got a he wants to be seen and desired. Joan Allen, uh, she's a blind woman in this movie, so she can't see. Yeah, so you almost see him kind of uh, think like, maybe this is how I. And re- you know it's reconcile a, this whole it's crazy a, thing in my head about being seen. It's a genuinely beautiful. It's an interesting angle that they take, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, this is the guy who gets a fresh start. It's a clean slate. It's a woman who can't see. Like I said, this guy's embraced his freak, he hasn't updated his wardrobe. In years, even though, as we established with his house, right. he's not out of it's, fashion. It's also hard to shop for that body. I know. Yeah, the big and tall stores were not as prevalent in 86. Exactly. So he's like, well, the last time they made this <laughs> this form-fitting polyester shirt. His, the pants I'm,
1: are actually too big. They look like they come up to his belly button and a lot of the time. Yeah, he so,
0: really <laughs> throws his body perspective yeah. in this movie. And like I said, he does all those different sleight of hands and visuals with his body. The tenderness that he shows during that tiger scene where she's feeling up this tiger and exposing his teeth, exposing the tiger's teeth. Oh, my gosh. As he's sitting there like, like, uh, like sensing what's going to happen. I like that they didn't make him a total freak with women. He Mm. was this guy who accepted his outer freak. And she was accepting him on his inner terms. And he right. was actually doing it. Right. He was working it. It was working for him. It was working. And that's when Michael Mann is so good about doing that one. This is what seems like a Lynch scene to me. Oh, yeah. Once I found out Lynch was attached to it, I was viewing which scenes were Lynch scenes. And this is the one where he's watching from his van her getting dropped off by a friend and nothing more. And we're seeing the bookended scenes of how the scene actually happened. And we're seeing psycho Tom Newman. That's when the movie also goes, we got 85 minutes of just instrumental score. In the last thirty-five minutes, are nothing but '80s pop hits yeah. that weren't actually '80s pop hits. <laughs> we get nothing outside of "Inagada Vida." It's like six songs that all sound like number one hits from 1986. Totally. And then you look them up, and you're like, "I've never heard of any of these people." <laughs> it's like this. It's like yeah. "Night of the Comet" like, has like, "Oh yeah, that that song was a hit, right?" And you're like, "No, that was eleven songs of just total no nobodies." Yeah. And that's what. Suddenly, you're just getting this blasted music scene of him in the van with his like tape ripping up his upholstery while he watches like his woman kiss another guy. Turns out there's no kiss whatsoever. He's just far gone. He's insane. Yeah. He's insane. Yeah. And so once it really goes bad so then with it breaks him and bad. Joan Allen. Yeah, yeah. You, I love the use of the layout of his apartment, how he moves from room to room because she's blind. And it's such another thing where... All these things that Silence of the Lambs just took as their own thing for a movie that gets praised for it. The end has Jodie Floster, blind, yep, stumbling through Bill's basement with him in night vision goggles. And here we go, the more obvious man who can just already see and a woman <laughs> who's just blind in any light. Yeah. And then Silence the Lambs is more like, well, what if we make a basement that's super pitch black? They're and like, can like, we make Clarice blind? No? Nope. <laughs> nope. Okay. No, okay. We can work this. What can blind her <laughs> temporarily? Joan Allen is so open and vulnerable during this scene. And then this weird slunched body, Tom Noonan wanders into frame for the first time. And it's this weird little dance with the camera. Yeah. Where she's on one edge of the screen and he's on the other and he's like biding his time before he approaches her. And she is just screaming, wondering if anybody's even in the same room as her. Right, Trying No idea response. where she's at. Fucking terrifying. This whole movie is so terrifying in just confronting you with this man. Yeah. Without seeing him do anything violent per se. It's crazy. It's crazy. I was so
1: hooked. I love that way. bit where she, yeah, where she's against the wall, calling out, and then you just see him in the background, kind of shuffling, head down. Yeah, trying and to. His body looks so kind of
0: like unhealthy and weak. Yeah, in weird. that scene, and up, like, in and then when he like swoops in on her, you get that brief contact, like it's a total Phantom of the Opera scene. Mm. Lon Chaney just swooping in and like re- the woman realizing his inner self and his inner horror. It's so like early Universal horror. It's such Frankenstein, and uh, it's true. I like that Tom Noonan played Frankenstein in the Monster Squad. Oh man, that makes sense. There you go. <laughs> there you go, baby. Bada
1: bing. Nice. Yeah, the the ending scene is kind of where we finally get the violence that we've been yeah waiting and for. Think about that, man.
0: <laughs> All this violence of this movie just feels like you get that final closing in scene where they are rushing to this man's house. Their profiles finally paid off and they're trying to stop another murder. And you get that Michael Mann nighttime slow-mo. Yeah, that he's so good at of William Peterson essentially running the 100-yard dash into a man's bay window, doing another doing another
1: kind of outburst <laughs> where he's like he's got someone in there. He kind of gives him the, the, the Tom Atkins, like, stop it. Ooh. Stop
0: it. <laughs> I was getting strong Atkins vibes strong from Atkins. this.
1: And, uh, yeah, then rushes in and, and times it perfectly with Inagata DeVita and, and just.
0: Dude, once Tom Noonan pops in his Inagata DeVita tape. Man, it's on from there. That's such a Scorsese moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's so great with this blaring music that's just now scoring this woman's life. You know, we have we had goodbye horses in Silence of the Lambs, which is mm. unbeatable. But in the God of Davida is such a, it's such a kind of funny meathead song to be totally. playing, a total cool meathead song, not like Rock and Roll Part Two playing during <laughs> Joker. But you just imagine like a <laughs> teenaged, uncool
1: way to use it, teenage Tom Noonan in the seventies, like smoking dope, being like, <laughs> yeah. I should kill families. Yeah, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, that's the ticket. But yeah, you finally get the moment where Peterson crashes through the window. I love all the, I just love that whole sequence. Yeah. And to confront this killer and Noonan just slaps him around, cuts him <laughs> up, <laughs> Noonid
0: tosses Noonid him made... against the fridge like he's a fucking paperclip. It's so weird that this time- All of a sudden, the, right? The, the movies that I was being reminded of this time, I was never reminded of before. I brought up the Blade Runner thing earlier, like, we need you, Dex. This is totally Dexter confronting Leon. He pulls out the gun and Leon just swats it away within a split second. Peterson crashes through this full window and Uden just picks him up in a choke and cuts him across the face and then just body slams him into the fridge. It's totally like, yeah, it's totally like Harrison Ford just getting his
1: ass handed to him (laughs) at the end of Blade Runner. Just immediately.
0: Yeah, Like, oh, first confrontation, immediate ass kicking. <laughs>
1: or just like The Shining where the guy finally gets to the overlook after the whole movie of getting there and Nicholson just just axes, axes, him. axes him right in the back. Well, so much for that plan. <laughs> yeah, just
0: thump. <laughs> yeah, that's Peterson just diving through a window to an immediate slashing. Oh, man. And, <laughs> and then Newton
1: grabs a shotgun that looks like a toy in his hands.
0: Noonan just, is a guy... And then, who, then suddenly just starts blasting, like, oh, man. Yeah, dude, Noonan just blasting cops. It really escalates. Just blasting <laughs> cops 20 feet back with shotgun blasts. And, well, you say it looks like a toy. It's being handled by a giant man. That's why, yeah. <laughs> He's holding this shotgun that's blowing people back, and it's just this tiny little, like, you know, Not water gun in his hand, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, no recoil at all. Just walking through these it's shotgun super blasts. Soaker. yeah. <laughs> and I love that we're getting so much profiled of this guy as we're put. We're seeing the art of his work and the fussiness of his work, and then the messiness of his work. And this is all of those things happening in real time. Except Michael Mann even messes that up by giving us the weirdest four-frame, four-speed camera shot of this whole climax, where it just, that's, that's the, I guess, the one part of the movie now. Now that I'm fully William Peterson and fully Brian Cox, this is the one hang-up I have. Mm. Where do you stand on all that the camera trickery? Mo. They would go slow-mo, they would go fast-mo, and I later found out he filmed it at four different speeds, and then just edited it with each different speed at whatever one he liked for that part of the scene.
1: Uh, It didn't bother me. I don't think Uh, I love the slow-mo bit where Noonan breaks through the like wall art that he's got hanging. That's kind of what I liked
0: about his sense of interior design. Yeah. Where you're seeing this guy's art and you're seeing Joan Allen feeling around for all this room of weird stuff. And I love how he had this open floor plan and he's like, you know, I have this really large-scale print, and I think it would go really well to kind of ke- create a separate space between my right. bedroom and my living quarters. Yeah. And then at the end, it's just like his world's breaking down. And and he, he just, just walks through. through. Just <laughs> he's such through a Terminator it. right yeah. at the end, man, just bursting through his converted wall with not even a thought to it. And God, and
1: so... I liked it. Yeah, and then he he kind of turned... he, he- Shoots a couple other cops that are coming in and then turns back towards Peterson, which is when finally... Uh, or Will Graham shoots him about half a dozen times mm-hmm. to finally get unloads a clip. And yeah, it would show him shooting, and then like a slow-mo of him getting hit, shooting slow-mo. Yeah, it had that kind of I Wang li- Chung music it, it video effect yeah, that feels really it, 1986. I don't think it took me out of it, just because I think it, it fell in line with the vibe of the 80s, vibe of the whole thing before that. Yeah, okay, I'm okay with it.
0: You know, I'm, all I'm, right mixed, I'm mixed, but I like... Uh,
1: Sometimes those are bad. Sometimes it's really hard to do like that kind of shutter- yeah, overly motion.
0: textured, super affected kind of scenes. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of more of the final scene. I'm kind of comparing it against Taxi Driver. And I like how the violence in that final scene plays out with him, you know, shotgunning off that guy's hand. You know, the violence was quick, real time. Right. And I kind of like that aspect of, like, all this havoc was caused in, like, 40 real-time seconds. Yeah. And I think all that stutter effect kind of took away from the, like, Oh, like seven people ended up dead, and one guy had his face cut open and his body shot, and uh, it all happened in about 24 seconds.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I could see that being like, because we've been building to this confrontation the whole time. Yeah. So to kind of then have it uh,
0: Suddenly that was the first thing. The whole movie kind of had that music video vibe. I was even getting Tequila Sunrise vibes at the time. I totally yes. got a Tequila Sunrise vibe. Uh,
1: the, oh. the one sunset scene, at least. Yeah. That's um, our
0: episode 100 right there. Ma- <laughs> <laughs> it's Tequila Sunrise, it will baby. Have,
1: it will have come to this at that point. Yeah.
0: Uh, I was getting some strong like, oh, this is like good Tequila Sunrise at several different points. Yes. And that moment at the end, I was like, it's kind of Tequila Sunrise right now. Yeah. I'm kind of hitting that Tequila Sunrise. It hits him at the end. But yeah, the
1: good guy wins. uh, The final, final end, yeah. After all of this darkness and violence, he's back with the family on the beach in Florida. Yeah, and he's got the short shorts, and uh, dude, we have a a, just the freeze frame that 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 floods the whole credits. Stay. I I was like watching it, waiting for it to fade. Same, just stays up the entire credits while that really bad heartbeat, heartbeat, dude. That's such a. That song plays just like on a loop for four minutes at the end of this movie. So how funny
0: is it that Don Johnson, at the height of his Miami Vice fame, had his big hit single, Heartbeat? Yeah. And then Michael Mann's like, well, Don Jay has gotten too expensive. Gotta find another heartbeat to close out this movie. That's what I'm saying. The instrumental score on this movie Gorgeous. Oh, the score is the synth score top tier. is so good. Oh yeah. And then like 85 minutes in, suddenly it is just a 1986 like American Psycho style blaring soundtrack. Funny. And it fucking rules. <laughs> it's Dude, so that, good. I've, I've
1: had that song stuck in my head all day. Oh,
0: uh, yeah. Mommy. Yeah, it's such this. So good. Bi- and then that's why I'm like, yeah, I think I know this song. And then you get to the credits, and you're like, who the f- who are these people? What I think that phonies. I think that was like Red Seven. It was yeah, like some, Red Seven. It was just, oh, that's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Never Red Seven. Wait, no, huh? no, Red Seven. I think
1: I'm thinking of UB40. It's such what a funny, of, like
0: yeah. it's a similar reason. Like, oh God, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so thrown by that song. We hit that freeze frame, and then it just plays this full same freeze frame visual. It never fades to black. Never. It just stays on this shot of this family on the beach. It's like their
1: backs, and you see the ocean, and the kids throwing something. So the kid's he's in throwing a
0: stick. Throw. Uh, the, William Peterson's wearing that "Call Me by Your Name" outfit. Yeah. We get to see a lot of Peterson leg <laughs> in this final scene. This whole movie, this guy has been. <laughs> I love his look of stubbly 1986. Oh, the stubble is point. With the loosened tie, it's that that perfect cross section of when police detectives looked exactly like stand-up comedians. Oh, yeah. That was like right when it hit. That was the cross right well, there. he's like
1: in the, forens- you know, the forensic scene where he's in the bedroom. He's got like the the like ultra pleated like kind of baggy slacks. Yeah. The kind of baggy tucked in like <laughs> Office, you know.
0: It's so sick. <laughs> I love it so
1: much. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the thing that, you know, they would wear on their off days in Wall Street or something. Oh, Just yeah.
0: Like, it's so good. Yeah. But it also feels like, oh, man, uh, Richard Jenny's is going to do a set down at the Comedy Cellar. A little bit. And, and it seemed like he maybe had some kind of Jerry Crow
1: thing th- going on with the hair a little bit at one point.
0: His, his So we were talking about David Lynch. This movie feels It's so crazy he did Blue Velvet that same year. And those are my number one, number two movies of that year. Because this whole movie has the exact same kind of Blue Velvet wrap-up. It so feels like Jeffrey at a barbecue with his parents and hanging out with Sandy and her parents... And it's that whole like the robins have come home. Right. This scene is shot just. This is such a robins have come home scene. Oh, they have a full thing with the movie. The the baby turtles.
1: We see in the beginning. So the robins. It's the baby baby turtles turtles.
0: hatched. I think most of them made it. Most of them made it. Most of them made it. it. Man, it's gotta stop. Yeah. (laughs) It's such a David Lynch movie. I'm so Uh, sad that he's such a sweet guy that it's like, this is disgusting.
1: But I feel like, so the redeeming things, I feel like, are in the relationships with the wife, with with Will Graham, and and how his wife is strong and supportive and cares about him and he cares about her. And uh, that's a genuine thing. And and Tom Noonan kind of almost having this breakthrough with a woman who is making him, you know, there's a scene where he almost starts crying in bed after they've... Made sweet yeah, tender that's the thing, blind man.
0: love. That's what's kind of heartbreaking and about it's, that.
1: It's like I think there's all that there, and it's all it's like the, um, uh, the role of the women in these guys' life.
0: You know, yeah. keeping them sane or you know, failing to. Uh, well, I yeah. Guess, but... Just also, I want to mention the name Francis Dollarhide. <laughs> <laughs> Great name. Tooth fairies named Francis Dollarhide. The easiest to stand out name in the phone book. And it's spelled dollar and
1: Hyde, like yeah. Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. yeah. And great.
0: So that's a little like, mm, subtlety. <laughs> and I love his relationship so much with Joan Allen in that way that it's like, you had it, man. You're right there. Right. You're not that far. Out. You're a guy who's shown that he knows a lot of topics, can carry on an interesting conversation. You're not a total backwoods psychopath. You have somehow connections that can allow this private one-on-one sedated tiger session. Obviously, this guy knows people. people. And we're just seeing kind of... I like that the movie just gives us the degenerate side of him while hinting that, like, there's more to this dude. You're not going to see a lot of that stuff, but we're going to give you glimpses that show this guy's living a fairly full life. He has hobbies. Right, that aren't just staking out family murders.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, he's not that lone wolf. He's, he's got a you know a job and a profession and relations with people, and he was so close to just redemption. He there. was right there.
0: He was right there. Obviously, he's
1: killed you know
0: two families already. <laughs> yeah. So he's a bad. He's, he's in deep guy.
1: He's in deep. But you get this glimpse of it could have been different.
0: Yeah, you know he wasn't he, that far still from being a salvageable human. Not just a straight up inhuman sociopath. Right. And that's the thing that ages the best about this movie. That's what makes it such an ageless flick, regardless of the fashion (laughs) and regardless of the Paula Poundstone uh, sports coats. You know? And the neon green kind of
1: lights everywhere for some reason. Yeah. (laughs) This
0: has such a strength in character and is so truthful to its characters and so lets them. Let us in on who these people are. And it's just so satisfying because of all that. And it has this, it's easily my favorite of the Thomas Harris series, uh, with probably the TV show being my second and then Silence of the Lamb's third. Yeah. Uh, out of the whole series, though, I mean, it's so special. And I keep thinking that I'm the one overrating it. But then every time I watch it, I'm like, nope, not high enough. There you go. Love Manhunter even more. It's one, uh, and and it's one I think you can
1: watch. Like I'm gonna watch it again for sure.
0: I am dying though, if we ever get theaters open again. Even I, if
1: you know the plot and stuff, it's it's uh, there's so much more to yeah, take in. I've
0: never seen this on the theater, and it feels like that needs to ramp up the request. We need to pull some strings and get a Manhunter big screen. There you go. Viewing. We're talking oh. to you, Neil. <laughs> Just call him out. I think it came to this. Oh man, we're, we're longer than the running length of Manhunter into analyzing Manhunter, man. But this was great. I mean, you know, uh, this is our first Michael Mann, and we went in, we went as in. far as you can go. And there's a
1: lot to talk about. And and uh, you know, I think we hit on a lot of universal stuff that's great in a lot of movies. Yeah, you know? and this movie has a lot of things about it that are great, that are great in a you know. In still a lot fe- of Michael Mann I movies, still feel that lot- it's
0: unloved and underrepresented.
1: It's un, you know, it's underrated. It, it, I don't know if it bombed when it came out, but it did. I don't think people were not really a moneymaker. Were, people it, were not into it. Yeah, it lost money. There's a reason for a long time. It's got a seven point two on the IMDb, so it's
0: it's it definitely has. It's uh, yeah, it fans. Uh, but for a long time, I think it was the one that they were, whether for reasons solely related, to like yeah, we don't want to muddy up the different Hannibal Lecters. They yeah. were. This was not released in the same box sets right. as Silence, Hannibal, and Red Dragon. Those it, were treated as their own thing for a long time.
1: It's funny how, like, can you think of any other character that is so iconically tied to an actor, but has, like, four other actors have played him over the course of, you know...
0: The, the one I can think of, which has resulted like, in several fun movies, and some I think are brilliant, is the Mr. Ripley character. Okay. That has actually spawned, like, four or five different movies over the span of, like, four decades. Oh, really? Yeah. I think
1: I only know the one with uh, Matt Damon.
0: Oh, there's uh, an amazing one from the 06 where John Malkovich plays the Ripley character. Hmm. So not just different character people playing it, but, like, it's been a character portrayed at different points in that man's life. Interesting. And there was a 70s one called, I think, uh, An American Friend. That's Dennis Hopper. Yeah, the Never Ripley ca- the Ripley character. Uh That's our next deep dive, yeah, I think. Deep dive is that character. So that's one that I've just happened to see four of these movies, and it's like, oh right. wow, it's a very versatile character. But yeah, there's not like a uh there's but, no pre Indiana Jones. But it's but it's not like movie. you think
1: of Ripley and it's like, oh, that's obviously Matt Damon. You know, oh, no. but it, I for me, I'm it's a like Malkovich Ant- birther. Anthony Hopkins is such an iconic, like <laughs> Well, char- he won
0: an Oscar. It's crazy oh, yeah. that another version of a character—it would be like, uh, you know, Don Corleone, uh, like Marlon Brando not getting a claim, and then there being a next Godfather movie that isn't related to the first Godfather movie, right? But right. has a lot of the same characters, and now the different Corleone is the one that's thought of like, well, he did it, right? That's how you do that. He made it happen, and it's like completely forgotten. <laughs> It'd be just a forgotten Godfather. That's what this is. I mean how many times is a this character that's not been done before but then comes back and in the second one wins the Oscar. Right. Like uh, we liked this one and this guy better. Right. It's in
1: a, a completely different take on the character kind of a thing, but uh I anyways. I mean it's
0: it's just fascinating how differently they were received. Right. When to my eyes in, you know, from every time I revisit each of these, they're so both obviously good with I think Manhunter being better what didn't they see like what didn't they see in this one what Ahead of what its did time, they maybe. want ha- that changed in five years right to
1: like oh yeah we're into this now we all know forensics now we all <laughs> yeah we're all
0: this is a thing we're into now the serial killers now now that he's actually cutting off somebody's face and wearing it like his own <laughs> yeah now we're into it give him the statues <laughs> <laughs> like yeah that's weird Never have they been like, how can we make this more like a straight-to-video horror movie, but also then get all the Oscars for it? That's weird. That Manhunter's the black sheep in the movie that has face-wearing. Yeah. You know? That's weird. I don't know. I love it. I think it's incredible.
1: Guys, do yourself a favor. Watch Manhunter.
0: Watch it. All right. Thank you. Do it. It's come to this. It is so come to this. It's super come to this. (laughs) I'm Charlie. I'm Eric. (laughs) Good night.